Yes, I know what it feels like to be lonely To have your friends turn their backs on you Yes, I've been lonely To never know the real meaning of peace of mind And today we're covering Rousseau's Social Contract, first and second parts, books one and two in uh, the assigned reading book. With me is Professor Heather Sullivan. Hello, hello. And uh, we're just going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about it. Actually, what do you remember about Rousseau? You taught Rousseau in grad school. I did. That was a very long time ago. Um... I remember that he wasn't super into uh, all the, like, trappings of civilization. Uh, That seems about right. Seems about right. That's maybe mostly what I remember. What else? What do you remember about teaching Rousseau? I remember I asked you for a lot of advice and page numbers. (laughs) Well, yeah, what year was that? What year was that? 2000 and... Six maybe. Two thousand and six. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. With Something Steve Leonard. Yeah. T A for Steve Leonard. Great. Um, so Rousseau, building off of the second discourse on inequality, develops a more robust political theory in the social contract. And I just want to focus on a few key passages from the reading today. And we'll just kind of go through them, read them closely, kind of uh, you know, see what see what's in there. So Professor Sullivan's got a few little passages that we're going to look at. She'll read them, and we'll just talk about them. All right, well, here's the first thing that Joel has cut out for me. Um, it is from page 156, and it says, The family is, then, if you will, the first model of political societies. The leader is the analog of the father, while the people are like the children, and all, being born free and equal, give up their freedom only for their own advantage. The whole difference is that in the family, the father's love for his children repay him for the concern that he bestows upon them, while in the state, the pleasure of ruling makes up for the leader's lack of love for his people. Yeah, what do you think about that? That's a pretty good one, huh? <laughs> this is a lot some, going on there. Amazing. A lot going on there. What I do you hate all notice? of it. <laughs> what, what's, well, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, clearly we first, obviously, given the time period, have the father is the leader of the family patriarchal yeah that'll well, that'll definitely extend ideas that we had in the f- uh, second discourse when we were talking about that but what um, else do you notice rocking there? some patriarchy um this is a pretty weird part though that in the family the father's love for his children mm-hmm, repay mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. for the concern that he bestows upon them yeah i don't know what's going on there what do you think is going on there is happening so the father's love so i guess that like the love is like the payment like his feeling of burgeoning love is like he's like oh i love them so much and that's so it's okay that i gave them all this concern i i maybe maybe for the concern i mean maybe it's that that it repays him Maybe it's like a reimbursement, you know. It's a lot of resources, a lot of energy and attention to take care of kids, and so it's the what makes it worthwhile. I mean, that's sort no, of that's what we what say. No, that's definitely right? what it does, right? That like, yeah. but it's interesting that it's his love for them, not their love for him, that make it worthwhile. 
Right, that's kind of a weird thing. So it's all pretty internal to the... It's just that dad. It's just the dad. <laughs> dad is just inside his own head. Just, <laughs> just dad. Just dad <laughs> repaying dad. himself <laughs> with love. It's like an internal economy. But, 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 but that's... Wait, just wait. You think you're laughing about that now, but just wait. I think it's uh, not... I don't think that's crazy. All right, what else you notice? Okay, so then... In the state, the pleasure of ruling makes up for the leader's lack of love. So the leader, in this case, does not love his people. Does not love the people. He loves to be in charge. But he loves ruling. He likes yeah. to be the boss, man. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about all that? I mean, that's probably true. Both are probably kind of true. Both w- which? Both which? Well, I mean, in not a shit family, then the father's love for his children is kind of repayment for all the work it is but then in the state the leader just doesn't love all the people does the leader love any of the people i mean maybe a couple of the people maybe a couple of the people <laughs> Some, a few of the people a few of the people <laughs> got some cousins and right right the family compadres his son-in-law yeah <laughs> for example maybe his daughter yeah but he just likes to be in only charge. one of his daughters though only one of his daughters <laughs> the others he doesn't care for now uh, what do you notice in the beginning of that passage? You notice anything in the beginning of that passage? Well, I mean, the family is the first model of political societies. Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Anything else there? I mean, the people are like children. Mm-hmm. They Wards. give up their freedom. Yeah, I mean, it's like the right. people Right, wait, wait, wait. There you go. There you go. But they're also not thoughtful, right? I mean, like, the idea is that... Wait, but oh, but I thought you were going to go on the trip about, I mean, to what extent does the child give up freedom in a family? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess. I'm not sure they're born free to equal. I mean, our daughter would argue, I think. Right, right. <laughs> true enough, true enough. Sorry, I'm co- we've had this cough for like a week, and we keep Googling symptoms of COVID. Um it's productive, so <laughs> the cough is <laughs> the cough, not Googling COVID. That's, that's definitely not, not productive. productive. But I think I've read every infographic about the symptoms of COVID at this juncture. Um, the people are like children. Well, I mean, the people, if the people are like children in this sense, I feel like it means that they need tending and they can't, like, really make their own decisions. Sure, sure. So that's, sure. like, one. And then th- they're born free and equal, which, I mean, I don't even know what that means. I mean, does that even mean anything? Born free and equal? Yeah. Because, and then anyway, they just give up their freedom anyway for their own advantage. Children definitely don't give up their freedom for their own advantage. They don't really have... They don't experience it that way. Well, they don't really have a choice. Right. Right. Uh, That's where I was going with this this idea that they give up. It's kind of like us in the state. We don't really have a choice either, so maybe it's not that different at all, really. We're just born into a particular set of arrangements. We had no say in those arrangements. It was correct. I mean, the free and equal seems like a pretty great preposterous, construct. preposterous claim, preposterous claim. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, sure. Now, I mean, he's going to go way back. That that refers back to the second discourse where he's really obsessed with this kind of equality. Right, because he has that state of nature where they're not civilized. Sure. Well, but this is partly I want to flag this particular passage here just because we spent quite a bit of time before we uh, unceremoniously decamped from campus um, talking about Rousseau and the family in the second discourse in the way that it just sort of rapidly you go from the state of nature as like uh, sort of primitive Neanderthal men and women and children just kind of like atoms bumping into each other from time to time and then suddenly in the second part of the second discourse it's like oh right but then there were these beautiful families that were totally patriarchal and the women just were barefoot pregnant in the kitchen and then he picks up the same model of the family it's not i guess all i'm saying is it's not immaterial how he thinks about the family what you're saying is that's two preposterous models of the family. two preposterous <laughs> models of the family born free and equal and the father as the 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 dominant model of authority well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's not preposterous. That has happened in much of history. Right. That has been an The other is perhaps preposterous that we were somehow ever just floating about. 
Right. Yeah. No. Lots of lots of preposterous models of 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 um, human nature floating around. All right. So the family. Now, it also struck me in this passage. Do you know how slow I like to go? Oh, I do. I do. Slowly <laughs> through the text. Slowly it's through the still text. Still there, huh? I put that one away. Still the there. Yeah, yeah, don't put that one away. Yeah, don't put that one away. It's more a grammatical thing here. Is the the way that this passage just kind of slowly unfolds, right? This paragraph. I mean, this could have been said far more directly, right? The family is then, if you will, right? I mean, I don't know. There's something about this that you you feel like he's trying to pull a fast one on us here. I guess I don't know. I I just think this is a great a great little introduction to to everything that's to come, but it'll become even. I don't know. We'll just keep reading. It'll get even get even weirder. All right, can what I you got put next? it away now? Yeah, you can put it away. All right. Excuse me. All right. This one is from page 158. And it says, the strongest man is never wrong enough. Strong enough. Typo. Oh. Typo. Strong enough. <laughs> never, never strong enough. enough. Yeah, be, but wrong enough is pretty, pretty good typo. It's pretty good typo. The strongest man is never strong enough to always master... To be all wait, sorry. The strongest man is never strong enough to be always master, unless he transforms his power into right and obedience into duty. Hence, the right of the strongest, a right in appearance assumed in irony, and in reality established in principle. What? You want to read that again? Okay. So the strongest man is never strong enough to always be master. Okay, I get that. You could always be overthrown by a bunch of revolutionaries. Unless he transforms his power into right. Okay, so he has to be legitimate. People right. see him obedience as legitimate. into duty. And obedience into duty, right? So then people feel a moral obligation instead of just being obedient. My students in my comparative politics class would say that he was correct. You know, most of them are listening, I'm sure. <laughs> Legitimacy, it does make it easier to get obedience. Um, all right, hence the right of the strongest a right in appearance assumed in irony and in reality established in principle. So hence the right of the strongest, which is a, the right of the strongest is a right in appearance assumed in irony and in reality established in principle. I don't understand that. Well, he's saying that the right of the strongest. I mean, I take it is that that's only in appearance only, right? That's like false. Correct. But I don't understand what it means that in reality established in principle. Well, it goes a little further on here. I suppose that we should have, I I should have probably given you a little bit more. He says a little bit later down on the page, if one is compelled to obey by force, there is no need to obey from duty. And if one is no longer forced to obey, obligation is at an end. We see then that this word right adds nothing to force. Here it means nothing at all. Let us agree then, just giving a whole paragraph, let us agree then that might does not make right, and that we are bound to obey none but lawful authorities. Yeah, I mean, I teach my I teach my comparative kids like that's very expensive to rule by force alone. Like I mean people will obey you if they're terrified enough. You can Command obedience, but it's a lot cheaper if you actually just convince people that, like, you're doing the right thing, and then you don't have to be like cracking skulls all the time. And you, but what about the possibility that you could uh, persuade people that the strongest rule, and that the rule, uh, the natural rule, is the rule of the strongest? Oh, wait, so this is like a myth? I, I'm not sure I understood what the point of that was. I mean, the strongest could rule, right? The strongest could rule. But that doesn't make them legitimate. Does not make them legitimate. Right. I mean, Machiavelli would be okay with that, right? Because you could be feared instead of loved. That's That's also right. That's also right. Where are you going with this? Well, just, I mean, it seems like these are just different models of authority. 
one by force, one by legitimacy. Correct. Rousseau seems to favor legitimacy. Legitimacy over force. Because the man, the strongest man, is never strong enough to be always master. Right. Right. So here he's departing from Hobbes again. Oh, okay. We saw a then fairly explicit departure. Hobbes in a long time. Yeah, you taught Hobbes <laughs> in 2006 as I well. I also did, yeah. Yeah, no, so here he's departing again from Hobbes uh, quite explicitly, and in this more kind of, where whereas in the second discourse it's a little bit more implicit and it's much more about Hobbes and the state of nature. Here it has more to do with departing from Hobbes and... Excuse me. And <laughs> it's like a COVID household. Here. It's a COVID household uh, here, I guess. <laughs> oh, so not funny. Not funny. Not uh, I at hope all it's funny. not. I mean, maybe it does. Then we have uh, What you all, anyway. what you all, no doubt noticed is that further into the text, uh, he's explicitly making his disagreement with Hobbes explicit. His disagreement with Hobbes, with Grotius, uh, all over the place. So that's that's all that one's about. That's all that one's about. We can we can keep going here. Just a few more left. All right, so the next one comes from page 166. The transition from the state of nature to the civil state produces a very remarkable change in man. By substituting in his behavior justice for instinct, and by imbuing his actions with a moral quality they previously lacked. Okay, so as we move from our, you know, atomized people in the cave to the civil state, Yep. We change. We change. We change in what way? We substitute justice for instinct. Right. Right. And we have morals. And morals. So we have that so society has some kind of moralizing effect on us. Yes, it appears. It takes so. us out of the realm of instinct. And now we care about justice. We're very lofty now. <laughs> it's a weird uh it's a weird um it's a weird uh, opposition there, right? Instinct and justice, right? I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting, right? Instead of going, so we go from instinct to reason, right? right he goes to instinct justice. to justice, like weird. straight to justice. Yeah. What's that all about? I don't know. What would be the opposite of justice? I mean, not injustice. injustice. <laughs> Stupid. No, but like the other. Okay, if you want to put instinct and reason, then what would you put on the opposite side of justice that wasn't just injustice? Like a pre, a preliminary concept. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, you could go well. You could have you could have substituted any kind of value there, right? I mean, you couldn't substitute. You couldn't for Rousseau substitute equality there, right? Because Rousseau told us earlier. <laughs> grief Rousseau told us earlier that it was uh, that the state of nature is a state of natural equality so we don't go from instinct to equality we could go from no, but instinct what's the, to I virtue I didn't ask you what that we went to instead of you said instinct to reason I was asking you what's on the other side of justice what's like the precursor to justice if it's not instinct if you think what's a precursor to justice if not reason is that what you're asking? No, you told me you thought instinct was the precursor to reason and that justice was like, I don't know, something that required more steps or something. I no, like, I just thought it was weird. I thought it was weird to go from instinct to a fairly particular kind of value, right? Right. I mean, in the Greek tradition... But it would. I was. I guess I was thinking like, okay, so... Now I think I have one, like maybe revenge. Exactly right. right. That's that in like the Greek tradition in the Oresteia. Yeah, because right, like that's the, a story the of pre. You know, if we think that like so, instead you would imagine that it would be like revenge to justice, instinct to reason. <laughs> right, that gets you this like if they were in parallel, but he's like picks two things that aren't parallel. Not at all parallel. Not at all parallel. And what's the second half of that structure? Uh. What do you mean? What does it say after from instinct to justice? Oh, by imbuing his actions with a moral quality. It's just that he has morals now. And now, um, 
Yeah, I wonder Which what. Is, I guess why he loves justice now because he has morals. Why a human loves justice, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea here is that somehow coming. I mean, this is an interesting. This is an interesting piece, right? Because it's somehow it's like society performs some kind of moralizing activity that somehow it's kind of weird though because doesn't he think society is degrading right it doesn't right make any sense like i thought it made us like weak and immoral well i don't know if it makes us immoral it, it, i don't i mean makes us weak maybe yeah he definitely says that in the second discourse it makes us corrupt it generates all but kinds isn't of corrupt not moral I don't know. I don't know. People use corrupt in a lot True. of amazing ways. Yeah. It's a pretty slippery concept. Yeah. Students also in papers shouldn't probably just avoid corrupt. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just want to flag this because for exactly the exactly the reason you said that for Rousseau here society seems to be doing something good right or i don't know if it's good or not right i mean whether it's good uh, who knows right but it certainly it certainly affects some kind of moral change in a, a person which i i this is kind of an interesting component all right are we done with that one well i think we can be done with that one if you want to be done with that one here's a couple of long ones coming right so up long. this one is really long we may have to break it up all right this one's from page 180 the people always desire what is good, but do not always discern it. That's not true. <laughs> You're wrong, Rousseau. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, we might not always discern it. That's true. But sometimes we do, and we still desire something else. The general will is always right. That's true definitionally. But the judgment which guides it is not always enlightened. Seems good so far. So okay. Except for that first part. The first sentence was a little off. The general will must be made to see objects as they are, sometimes as they ought to appear. It must be shown the good path that it is seeking and guarded from the seduction of private interests. Okay. It must be made to observe closely times and places and to balance the attraction of immediate and palpable advantages against the danger of remote and concealed evils. <coughs> Individuals see the good which they reject. The public desire the good which they do not see. Now I'm mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I was there. Lost. I was You're there, good, right? Good. Okay. I was like, okay. Keep going. We gotta have the general will. We don't have private interests, <laughs> right? We like pay attention. There's like balancing the immediate, but also the remote. The finish, finish it, and okay. then we'll individuals break it down. Okay. Individuals see the good which they reject. But didn't we just say that they always desire what is good? The public desire the good which they do not. So no, no, you've got this. The conceptual distinction between the individual and the public is is becoming important here. Oh, the people up above are the public. <coughs> the people, yeah. So there's a lot happening here. A okay, lot so of different conceptions. The public and the people. We got the pueblo. All right, the public desire the good which they do not see. All alike have need of guides. <laughs> yeah, the father. They need their dad. They need the, the dad. <laughs> the former must be complied. Oh, you wrote compelled. Sorry, typo, compelled. The former must be compelled to conform their wills to their reason. The former must be compelled to conform their wills to their reason. Oh, yeah, sure. Think. Think it. Think about it. The public must be taught to understand what they want. Then, from the public enlightenment, results the union of understanding and will in the social body. And from that, the close cooperation, oft he parts, and lastly... Of the parts, sorry. Of the oh. parts. Cooperation... Oh, yeah. <laughs> ofty. Ofty. Ofty pots. And lastly, the maximum <laughs> power for the whole. Power of. of. The whole. Hence arise the need of a legislator. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this particular passage. Um, where to begin? I think... I mean, it seems pretty clear. It's like, okay. Oh, it does, does it? Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. Enlighten us. All right, so you have the general will, and it's always right. <laughs> And you need some guides. <coughs> but the guides are not always the best. And if they're not the best, then I think it's really not the general will. So then it's unclear what's going on, I guess. And then 
where are you? Where's next? That's that whole first part. All right, then when we get to the individuals part, it gets back to that part that I thought initially, which is right, that we don't always want the thing that's good. That seems clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this public desires the good which they do not see, which is just because he thinks we need a dad. So we have to have the public dad. Legislator. A legislator, not the dad. A (laughs) legislator. Dad. Uh, (coughs) Because we need a guide, because we need a dad. And then the former, what is the former? The people. What's so interesting is that Rousseau didn't have a mother, but did have a dad. Well, maybe that's why he thought dad was so important. Maybe so. He was homeschooled <laughs> by his dad. Well, and, uh, our homeschooling is you're playing a lot of chess with your mom. <laughs> playing a lot of chess. <laughs> it's going great. wonder if she'll write a treatise. Uh, I, man, that'd be interesting. <laughs> um, with her mechanical keyboard. With her mechanical light-up keyboard. Um, she's writing a treatise about our bird at the moment. For a kid's newspaper. Is it a treatise? No, it's not no, a treatise. No, not a treatise. It's more of a news dispatch. Newsy item. Newsy human interest story. Okay. Where were we? Oh, the lights went off. Um, okay. The need of guides. The former must be compelled to their wills. Okay, so we have to have reason, right? This is like just more dad, right? We have to have the masculine reason. The public must be taught to understand what they want. Right, because we don't know, because we're children, we need dad. Bingo, bingo. Then, from the public enlightenment results the union of understanding and will in the social body. Okay. Yeah, this is more, yeah, we're just like The family. The family the becomes family enlightened, enlightened family. by the father figure. And from that close cooperation of the parts. Close cooperation of the awesome parts. We get this awesome whole, but that's what we need. That's if why everyone we need could dad. Just, if everyone could just follow dad. Dad, we just should listen to dad. If Dad was in charge. I mean, Dad does have to make sure that he puts away private interests, the seduction of private interests. And the socks. <laughs> and the socks. You can't Involve leave the socks, the socks out. It must be made to observe closely. Yeah. I mean, that's all this paragraph says. <coughs> paternalism. Is that really what you're <laughs> – what you so you sum this paragraph up as Rousseau paternalism. <laughs> Rousseau thinks we all need a strong dad. Now, I want that maybe that's all well and good, and that's certainly part of the story. But I think <coughs> we also should probably break down the way that there is the people, there's the individual, there's what the public wants, there's what the general will uh, <coughs> aims at, and then there's this kind of individual interest. So you've got these three different layers, these three different segments of society and three different positions that a person could occupy within society. They could be an individual with their interest, and they often don't want what is good as an individual. Correct. Right. Right. And then insofar as they form, as so far as the, the – now, what's weird is whether the public <coughs> and the people are exactly the same, whether they are identical, because there's a lot of interesting stuff that comes up with – the difference between the general will and the will of all, right? right the yeah. will of all, you re- remember ah, you're remembering that. this. This is good. This that. is good. Yeah, so the will of all could be different right. from the general will. Or because the general will has to be enlightened. The general will needs to be enlightened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot. I mean, a- as you no doubt know, the whole social con, as you, I'm sure, remember from teaching it, but the social contract is all about the general will. Yes, it was 100% about that. the general. That's the whole thing. Yeah. But all right. What part are we on? We are on to, we're still, we're on the social contract. We're on books one and two. And we're coming to the end of book two here with your final. My final card. With your final card. All right, I have one more long quote here. Yeah, it goes from 180 to 189. Sorry, 188 189, right? Okay, it must be because that would be a lot of pages. A lot of pages there. Yeah, no, it's not that long. This cough, I don't think I can read that many pages. All right. So, this is, I guess, 188. What people then 
Oh, what people, then, is suited for legislation? It's a weird sentence. So One. the le- wait 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 but hold on so right what the people needed was a legislator, right? Right. So the legislator comes in and constitutes the people. So what people is ready for the legislator to come in and constitute them, or what group is is mm-hmm. ready to be constituted by the, by legislator, the legislator to be? I mean, <coughs> to herded be by the dad. Herded by the dad. There's a couple of other metaphors that we could use there that I think are. I mean, are going to get weird here, right? I mean, what? <laughs> who's ready for the? It's it gets pretty wild. It gets pretty wild. Yeah, don't say that. Don't say that. Okay, one that is already united by some bond of interest, origin, or convention, but has not yet borne the real yoke of the laws. Okay, fine. Got so people who has have not some bond, <laughs> but aren't really organized uh, yet. Organized. Okay, one that has, <laughs> this is funny, one that has eight customs. Mm. Eight? That can't be right. What is that supposed to say? Hang on, let me find it. Let me find <laughs> like it. Sorry. I am very specific. Sorry. If you have eight customs. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you have eight <laughs> Then you can come you've on. You've got nine customs. That's too <laughs> That's many. That's one it. too many. You can join our club if you've got eight Some customs. Some bond. One that has neither customs nor superstitions. Oh, neither. Yeah, neither customs. Not eight. That <laughs> <laughs> has eight it's customs. Very funny. Well, anyway, don't have eight customs. You won't get into Rousseau's club. One that has neither customs nor superstitions firmly rooted. Okay. One that has no. Maybe fear because fear. what is this fear. here is ear. <laughs> <laughs> no ear. <laughs> of corn. One that has no ear, no fear. Of being overwhelmed by a sudden invasion, but that without entering into the disputes of its neighbors, can single-handed resist either of them, or aid one in repelling the other. He's sort of getting his Machiavelli on here. It's a w- it's a weird uh, it's weird. That in which every member can be known by all. This is very now I've gotten very confused. Okay, we have no fear of being overwhelmed. Okay, I get that. But without entering into the disputes of its neighbors, can resist either of them or aid one in repelling the other. Okay. So you're not in danger of being overtaken. So you're relatively... You you and you don't need an alliance to get, get rid of somebody. Of course. Keep going. Okay. Um, that in which every member can be known by all. Okay, so it's not so giant. And in which there is no necessity to impose on a man a greater burden than a man can bear. Okay. One that can do without other nations, and without which every other nation can make do. One that is neither rich nor poor, and is self-sufficient. Lastly, on the that co- uh, lastly on that combines one. Sorry, one that combines. Uh, lastly, one. He's typed this pretty badly. This is my <laughs> mechanical like keyboard. And there's all this <laughs> in the word known. It says no two and. Looks like some kind of gamer talk. Last, it's too many Discord channel combos. Lastly, one that combines the stability of an ancient people with the docility of a new one. Wild, right? Wild. That's another one that those two things are not opposites, stability and docility. Uh, Interesting, interesting. All right, well, so like we... You want to make your special state in a place where it's like kind of middle class, but strong. Self-sufficient seems important there, right? <laughs> no more than eight customs. No more than eight customs. Keep it to just strictly <laughs> just eight customs. Eight. We like we pierce our ears. We wear special pants. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's an unusual set of circumstances, and so it's almost like most. I mean, what's interesting here is that most societies are almost certainly beyond. <coughs> I mean, beyond hope. It's also interesting, right? I mean, this is this is being written in the 1750s, and I don't know where we stand with respect to sort of European colonial encounters here, but one gets a sense that there's a little bit of kind of a, uh, <coughs> I, 
I guess, a colonial optimism about the possibilities of like new societies could be built and could be constructed. I don't know. I don't what know, do you maybe, think? but you could read it the other way where it's like hopeless because these people aren't like too rich or too poor and they're not like they're clearly they the Europeans must have thought those people were like rooted in superstitions and customs and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm talking about the colonial people going, the colonists. Oh, establishing like a new city on the hill, that. right? I mean, oh, right. That the, what they need is just a prescription, right? A take prescription. Like, take like a hundred guys. I guess you Bingo. need some ladies though here because you gotta have, have someone to order around <laughs> for Rousseau. To be clear, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't take know what you think about that. Hundred families, and then, but you can't. They have to be. You got relatively egalitarian. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, your state would be a lot easier to form if you had all those preconditions met. Right, and the need of a legislator might be a slightly less, right? I mean, it might be easier for people to see the general will. So it raises a lot of questions about what exactly the legislator is. So uh, I hope no, you— No, I mean, if I mean, y'all, tr- true facts. The faculty have been having a million emails about what we're doing right now. So I would say that the legislature, even a small body, like somebody's got to herd all those cats, even if it's only like that's like hundred families of egalitarian. Now, what gets crazy though, as the students no doubt know, and you maybe don't remember from teaching with Steve Leonard, because Steve did not, Steve did not cover this super hard in his class, because there's some weird shit that happens with the legislature, where it's sometimes like. It's not entirely clear whether the legislator is an actual person or if whether the legislator is this kind of That's a concept. Uh, spirit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a very it's a very strange path. If you read that really carefully, if you read the chapter on the legislator really carefully and you start to pay attention to what exactly the legislator is, is it a real like the thing? The platonic form. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So it gets a little bit weird. It gets a little bit weird, and so I, I don't know. <clears throat> but well, that's not surprising because this is a general will. So I mean, like all of these things are like, you know, not batshit concepts. Is well, what they are. they're like the Platonic form, right? It's like the idea of like that the thing that's the ideal is like floating above the actual real thing, which is the far shittier. But we like know there could be a potential a perfect, perfect family if everyone perfect. would just listen to dad. <laughs> if everyone, that's, that's in some. <laughs> Um, how long are we going to be locked in this house together? I don't know, man. I don't know. So I'm going to read for you a few things. So that takes us, that's basically several passages through book books one and two of the social contract. Um, I'm going to read for you right now a couple of Shel- the great Sheldon Wolin's interpretation of, <coughs> of, of Rousseau. This is from Politics and Vision, the revised edition. Now, here, I, I just sort of want to get your off-the-cuff, unvarnished, unvarnished reactions. You can tell reactions. all the rest of this has been really well planned. <laughs> yeah, super varnished here. This is what I really, what I really want is some unvarnished reaction to this passage. So this is from Politics and Vision. What gave pathos to human alienation was that man could never regain his natural self, a point that Rousseau's critics have tended to ignore. When charging him with favoring a return to the primeval slime, the anguish of the human condition was that man could never go back to the warm, dark womb of nature. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I don't know whether the... For Rousseau, the... I mean, I didn't read that part again. I haven't read that part in a long time. But the description that you have given me of these, like, atomized people that were just barely, like, right, the kids just, like, run off and, like. As soon as they're, as soon as they can feed themselves, yeah, they, like, they disappear. And the mother like, never recognizes the child. This is what I'm saying. This part doesn't sound like a warm, dark womb of nature. I mean, right, right. Sounds like, you know. My critical text of Rousseau, I, I won't, I won't call it that. Pathos to human alienation, the anguish of the human condition. All right, all right. So next I mean, up, we definitely have a lot of anguish. 
Yep. In the human condition? Totes. And you don't think it's because we are alienated from the warm, dark womb of nature? I mean, perhaps. Perhaps. I'm not sure what that has to do with Rousseau, however. Yeah, I mean, I just I just thought it was interesting. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, that we can never, I mean, well, well all Wolin is trying to say here is, is just a reminder that Rousseau, <coughs> and you can kind of see it coming out in the social contract. You might have missed it in the second discourse, but you can see it coming out in the social contract that Rousseau's not just taking us back to nature, but in fact s- seems to be saying that we have to, like, push through or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't exactly know what kind of model of progress or what kind of time horizon Rousseau's looking at, but all Wolin's saying here is something I've been saying about Rousseau's not like a back-to-nature kind of person. Like, we can't ever go back. That seems <clears throat> true from all this. I mean, he's right. like definitely obsessed with, like, our... I mean, he may have thought that we left nature and got corrupted, but his solution is definitely not, like... You know. Tear it all down. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely not. In fact, far from it, right? I mean, it's actually make it even closer, right? Like make make society more like the family. Right. Which is not like tearing it down or... Well, especially since he didn't think the family was natural. Well, sure, sure. I mean, I it does... I mean, I, this is all just from... This thing that you just told me that the mom doesn't even recognize. That's in the first state of nature, and then he slips in the second state of nature so that it could be a patriarchal family. Oh, right. Because he's got to have, I mean, to maintain patriarchy. He's like, first he'll diss the mom by not knowing the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Then she'll become a perfect caregiver. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. That's how the Western male mind works, right? (laughs) That's That's how that would do. It's like an 18th century version of gaslighting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, here we go. Rousseau's solution for the ills of society, again, unvarnished, unvarnished reaction. Rousseau's solution for the ills of society was not to beckon men to the woods, nor to (laughs) advocate the destruction of all social interdependencies. He proposed instead a paradox. Let us create a society which causes men to grow closer to one another, to become so strongly solidary that each member will be made dependent on the whole society and by that very fact be released from personal dependencies. Rousseau's solution was one which belonged to the tradition of close communion with the solutions of other writers who have been appalled at the consequences of large-scale impersonal aggregates who prefer, this is Rousseau, I think, (laughs) with (laughs) those who prefer the pulsating life of the small group to the cold exterior unity of massive institutions. All right. Kind of communicate. Okay. <laughs> so your official reaction is okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, sure. I, I mean, mean, doesn't I feel like there's like lots of those like kind of deliberative democrats that like would be like, yeah, we need these like smaller communities, right? smaller communities but but the, the, somehow we become free by becoming more interdependent i mean this is like some of the weirdest shit i've ever heard well i mean it's sort of a little socialist but we become more free yeah sure i mean isn't that a little marxy well sure it could be a little marxy but it's a kind of a weird thing. I mean, part of what uh, I guess I'm getting at is that on the one hand, there's this like really strong, masculine, patriarchal vibe. Right, but then you got some feminists, some like femme theory. <clears throat> but then you've got this <laughs> sense of, then you've got Wolin coming in and the, the family, right? But, but, but it's not just Wolin reading this in here, right? Like the family for Rousseau, right? Sure, the right. love of the child. So you have this intensely patriarchal thing, but we shouldn't overread into that like a fairly. Right, it's not individualistic. It's not at all it's individualistic. Not like it's not at all a kind well, of American it's definitely masculinity. Not like a, yeah, it's not like a self-made man, right? <clears throat> no, 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 not at all. We shouldn't be that. There's, I guess, in other words, part of what we can see here in Rousseau is that there's like. That well, the I mean, in a way, if you think about if it's built off the idea of the general will, and the whole idea of the general will is what was it like? Father knows it? best. No, no, not the father knows best. The part about the self-indulgent 
What was that part? Uh, I don't know which card it was on. Uh, probably on 180. It's on this one. Yeah, it is on 180. Um, <coughs> where is it? Okay. Too many other CRs. It's probably expensive. Whatever. I can't find where it is now. But in any case, it was about how they were like supposed to be. Oh, here it is. That they were guarded from the seduction of private interests, right? So I mean, like his whole thing is like against that. You know what I'm saying? Not exactly. Put it together. So that it's unsurprising that he has this kind of interconnected view, right? In the sense that, like, the ideal. Right, the form of this like yeah. legislator who's yes. like not even real. He's yes. like the platonic form. Yes, is like someone that doesn't have personal interests. Correct. Right, that is Correct. like set aside the personal. Yes, for he'll the even public. say that that right. ha- that is an essential like that the that the legislator must know all the possible sort of human vanities and frailties, but be free from them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's like I th- I mean. It's like, yeah, you've got dad, but, I mean, you also sort of have God or something, right? You know what I mean? So it's, like, not – but it's not, like, self-made. It's not, like, Paul Ingalls over here. It's that's not like Paul Ingalls from Little House, <laughs> no. That's, yeah, sorry. Our, we read a lot of Little House on the Prairie when our daughter was little. Um, and we've been talking about it a lot since there's a book. It's like The Long Winter. <laughs> called The Long Winter, where they were stuck. In the house. For a long winter. For months. All right. All right. So what we take away from this a little bit here, the, what we're kind of building to, is that Rousseau, yes, intensely patriarchal, but not necessarily in the way <clears throat> we don't want to be too sort of um, glib about applying that label and be <clears throat> attentive, I think, to the different ways in which we could understand what it would, might look like to be patriarchal. All right. Last one here from me. Again, unvarnished reaction here. The social contract symbolized the arrangement designed to protect each member from all personal dependence. Instead of the dependence on nature, and instead of a dependence on individuals or classes, as in perverted societies, each would be dependent on the whole. Each, in giving himself to all, this is Rousseau, gives himself to no one. The precondition of perfect dependence required the voluntary and total surrender by each individual of all his rights and powers. Each ought to be perfectly independent of the others as individuals, but each should be bound by an excessive dependence on the community. These considerations also appear in the famous conception of the general will, the sovereign authority and supreme expression of the political community. Rousseau emphasized once more the attribute of generality in order to bring out the analogy with nature. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I threw, kind of threw a lot at you there. Huh? That's <laughs> like what, I'm, what I'm noticing here. So maybe. I glazed over maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think what I noticed there is like the same thing that we've been talking about, which is just that like his conception of this connectedness. I mean, this one is like I was actually thinking at the beginning part. It's like insofar as I was like, isn't this a little like Marx a minute mm-hmm, ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I know you guys haven't read yet, but I think you're you will. reading, you right? will. you're going to get there. This is like definitely not, right? Because, you know, you're not organized by classes, right? This is not like a group kind of affinity. I mean, in a certain regard, it's actually also weirdly anti-family, right? You're not dependent on other individuals as you might think of a family, right? So like once I'm in this like perfect community, then I am dependent on my community and so i'm not like more dependent on my family members i'm not more dependent on other workers i'm not more dependent on right i'm dependent on this like whole so like yeah right and so that's how it is possible that you could even identify a general will right you have to have some sense of the strong interdependence for the general will to even make sense and so absent a kind of community with 
interdependence, the general will seems completely bananas, right? But then I also think this part, I mean, I keep joking about it as the eight customs, but like, I mean, this is also the part where it's like you can't have your own customs and superstitions, right? Because you have to like be part of this, only this. I mean, I feel like if we pluralism read is really hard here. Yeah, I was like, if we read this today, I feel like you could read this in a real creepy, totally creepy, like kind of like totalitarian. Like I, I don't know. I feel like that there's a certain read of it that's like you people would feel very uncomfortable with, both on the left and the right. Like I don't truly, truly, yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah. Well, Hegel picks him up, right, and then. From Hegel, you're right, like right, right. two steps away from the Nazis. Sure. I mean, some people would say. Yeah. But yeah. I think I like I like that quote. I like I like what Wolin does there by helping us understand a little bit about the general will, right? That like <clears throat> that it's not. I think it's hard for U.S. people, right, raised in a liberal democracy, to see a distinction between the will of all. And the general will, right? In right. fact, that's what we sort of most commonly majority rule, right? right. We love right. that what the people want, right? But what Rousseau kind of pushes against is this idea that that there would be that, that those things would be coequal, or that they would be pointing at the same thing, right? The will of all may be pointing at one thing, but the general will, what the what the interdependent society needs in order to survive, is different. Um, you know, on the other hand, while it may be there's a little bit of a creepy kind of pull toward, uh, I don't know, a, a ideological or um, kind of spiritual hegemony, on the other hand, right? I mean, well, I mean, if you think of it in the Platonic form way, right, where you're like, oh, I mean, in a certain regard, this would be great, right, if we all were like equally linked which would mean that then theoretically we would all care for one another right i mean i mean just thinking about it in, in this terms moment, of in this right? moment I mean, right like there's not it's not totally you know it's not it doesn't have to be creepy right, right? and like, a society has to be flexible to be able to move between these kind of registers of like recognizing its interdependence and recognizing individual freedom and that has to be flexible enough to move back and forth or have institutions which can like mobilize particular <clears throat> you know movements toward one of those conceptions at any given moment well i mean if you sort of are thinking about these as like this like blank slate idea um like i don't know if this is what he was historically thinking right but i mean if he is thinking about like how would we go to the like vast uncharted united states and make society or whatever right like mm-hmm. or you know some African. He liked the Caribs. He was really interested yeah, in like somehow Caribbeans. I'm surprised, but like, if if he's like gonna sh- show up with his little cadre of his like forty people with eight customs, you know, like if you're creating something out of nothing, then it's like it doesn't. You're not like wiping out an existing society to try to make this, right? Do you know what I'm saying? He's not like giving a prescriptive. Like, what we need to do is take everyone's customs and take everyone's superstitions and take... He's, like, kind of like giving this, like, if you built something from nothing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. He's not, like, it's telling you how to case. remake France or whatever, right? He's like <coughs> no, and he talked... I mean, all the passages on the... Leg- all the, That chapter on the legislator in book two is one of the most important, and it's all about that. It's all about that. Yeah. I don't know what we do with that exactly, but... Well, it's only half of the social contract, so I don't I don't know where we go from from there. I mean, TBD, you know. We stay in our houses. We stay maybe we stay in our I mean, we stay certainly stay in our houses. Stay, at home. stay in our houses for the next several at least next couple weeks. 4 weeks, 8 weeks. We don't know. We don't know. So we here we know. are. Here we are. Here you guys are joining us in our living room. With Joel's ficus tree, come home from the office. Ficus tree in the house. Very happy about that. We wanted to bring it home it for quite a while. Before campus closed. Yeah. You'll hear a lot more from Sheldon Wolin since uh, Before Campus Closed. It's one of the few books I was able to smuggle out <coughs> before campus closed. So uh, a lot more Sheldon Wolin to come. Google him if you want. Um, that's it for this particular episode 
of the Government 117 Hamilton College, Spring 2020, the time of our National Emergency podcast. And uh, look forward to hearing from you over email, seeing you on Zoom, and uh, interacting with you, you know, from afar. Thanks for uh, letting me crash your class uh, today and I guess for the rest of the, the rest of the semester. You'll get my hot takes. Hot takes coming there up. There was a time you put your hand on the small of my back. I was surprised that you touched me like that. But there in your hand was a current of life I could hardly stand. A state still that I didn't imagine it. If I did, I'd made some joke of it. It was strange how I could feel so sane. So plain you are. And unbidden to me, there it rose the fancy, colored rose and easy. Yeah, I could see it so simple, unsubtle, impossible, clearly and strange, far and as close as a mountain range. On the horizon, driving all day There I was so sane So plain after everything That was the year 